0: Galaxy lights, Coachella, lightning bolt necklaces. Did you catch all the Scandival clues? Last March, one cheating scandal launched a reality TV investigation that generated hundreds of conspiracy theories, thousands of podcast episodes, and millions of dollars in revenue. I'm Jody Walker, host of An American Scandival. Ahead of the Vanderpump Rules premiere, relive the pop culture phenomenon that rocked a reality nation— To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See mintmobile for more details. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com.
1: I need supports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now.
0: Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, He'll never look at hockey rinks the same way. It's Andy Greenwald!
1: You could tell me that's a feature of most hockey rinks, <laughs> and I would be as credulous.
0: Oh, uh, Andy, we are here to talk about the second episode of True Detective Night Country. Andy, we did the first one. We had Issa Lopez on on that episode, so I recommend if people are, are kind of catching up with this, this pod and with the second episode that they go back and check out Issa's interview because I had a great time talking to her. She was so... So wonderful to chat with about the show, about the influences, about the connection to True Detective. And I wanted to start there. I I have a little bit of a recap of this episode where I would say the emphasis was on detecting uh, in episode two. A lot of setup for the first episode, a lot of kind of faint lines drawn between characters and indications that, you know, these people have like a complicated past, a complicated history with each other. But, you know, the first episode ends with the discovery of this kind of structure of Dead bodies in the frozen tundra. It's a
1: beautiful modernist installation.
0: A little little Boshy, and I don't mean Detective Harry Bosch. I mean you Hieronymus mean, you Bosch, mean
1: Chris Bosch, yeah. former NBA champion.
0: <laughs> um, but you know, we we fully get into the investigation in the second episode. We dive right in.
1: Just thinking about Amazon debuting Bosch Legacy, but it's about Hieronymus Bosch yeah. <laughs> on freebie. <laughs> What if I painted this guy
0: looking in between his own legs? He's a a a a
1: devil, isn't he? (laughs)
0: Uh, What was I going to say? I
1: ruined you. I'm sorry. No, it's okay.
0: Would you like me to kind of go through? Let me me go through the episode, okay? Let me go through the episode just just to kind of set the scene here. So we kind of open up. Danvers is there. And she's kind of going back and forth. She sees all these bodies. There's The cops are all out there. They're t- establishing the crime scene. Quite unprofessionally, I Getting might add. the sense that maybe the Ennis guys are not the best at their jobs. You know, maybe a little bit. You know, t- they're taking selfies. They're about to chainsaw up these things. And Danvers is the, really the only person there besides Navarro, maybe, who's on the outside looking in. Who knows what she's doing? Although she does have a, a good protege in Peter, who's mm-hmm. the, the younger, younger cop who's the son of Hank. There's a little bit of debate about whether this is going to be kicked up to like a kind of state-level investigation to Anchorage. Anchorage. But Danvers really seems to want to keep this case for whatever reasons. Navarro is making it clear that she thinks the death of these scientists is connected to her kind of white whale of a case, which is the murder of a woman named Annie Mm -hmm. uh, Kotak, I think. And she was a Native woman who had been protesting against mining operation in the area. Uh, Danvers kind of starts to interrogate what's going on out here at the Salal. Station. Mm-hmm. Maybe she goes to an old flame. He tells her about how they were p- working on some some pretty serious secret shit uh, out there about that would essentially like we could cure all diseases. We could release a bunch of new pathogens into the world. Like there's a lot you of never know. Yeah, the 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 scales of justice. Once
1: you start core in the permafrost,
0: <laughs> that's what they always say. I know. Uh, we hear a bit more about Rose's ex, Travis, who led Rose to posthumously. Uh, Rose obviously is the Fiona Shaw character, a kind of uh, nah, mystical survivalist living out. like
1: A, a log lady, you might a say? A log
0: lady. And she has seen a guy who does not look unlike Bob from Twin Peaks.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: she's seen this guy, Travis. She follows him out into uh, the, the frozen tundra, finds the bodies in the first place. We learn a little bit about this guy. First of all, that he's dead.
1: Yeah. Second, uh, he's super chill.
0: And third of all, Mm. his last name is Cole. Mm. So uh, for sports fans, Rust Cole is the name of the Matthew McConaughey character in the first season of True Detective.
1: In this analogy, I'm not a sports fan. I did not pick that up. I do
0: believe that he makes reference at some point to a father somewhere in Alaska. No. I think so. Uh, I love this for you. And uh, Travis was dying of leukemia. Um, They spent Rosen, he spent one last night together. He passes away. You want
1: to talk about that night? That was... That's rich in detail. Yes. Well, I mean, there's a lot of things going on. They played some records. <laughs> they smoked some doobage. Had a little sex. That's, honestly,
0: can I just have like a little mm-hmm. bit of a sidebar?
1: I want to only do sidebar. My platonic
0: ideal of what doobage would do. Mm-hmm. And they just, they fucked that up. They just put too much stuff into doobage. When was Boston Wait. Dirtweed? Right. Back in the day, in the nineties, yeah. you could get away with that, and now it's like oh. I have to be part of like the galaxy because I took like the oh. wrong edible.
1: So you mean that the wheat? First of all, what I'm sure there's just like a rich pipeline of the <laughs> finest California gold up there in the night country. So she's basically scraping together some like supermarket oregano it's and the risen. outside yeah. of like some Philly blunts and rolling it together. But you're saying this is better. Because when you smoke this, I'm despite, saying her
0: version of it, right. which is like smoke a J, listen to some Joan Baez, mm-hmm. have sex with a ghost. If is, he's alive, then yeah, you know what I mean. Though that's
1: that's Do you call people near death ghosts, <laughs>
0: <No>. pre ghosts. <laughs> I'm just saying that's like that's a more acceptable version yes. of getting stoned to me than than what than we what's asking going on now.
1: I, I would also say though you may be burying the lead about the the efficacy of this weed because. My guy, Russ's dad, or whatever, has he is an end stage cancer patient. Yes, looking and it yet, and yet, when he just smokes just like a little bit of this weed, he looks like he's performing, in, no, starring in like a regional theater version of Hair. Like he is just having the best afternoon of his life.
0: Look, that's what NorCal gave us with their wonderful crop. It's um, we basically learned though through these conversations with mm-hmm. Rose that. Ghosts are real in this world. We have to accept that as like our sort of reality that people see the dead out there in the in the night. We the also ride.
1: get a little bit of, this was not so present to me in the first episode, but this idea that, oh, we're tipping more supernatural than I, even I had expected. This idea that Ennis is like uh, a portal. Like Ennis is a place where a lot of people see ghosts.
0: Yes. And is it the supernatural or is
1: it perception? You know, or, like or, where- or was the town built on a pet cemetery? <laughs> Of all Um, those
0: fucking reindeer. The most important thing that Rose does share with us, though, is pointing out that one of the scientists had a spiral on their forehead. Yeah. Uh, This spiral is also something that Navarro recognizes as being something that was on Annie's back, I believe. Yes, she had a tattoo. This spiral is the same pictogram that has, like, turned up in especially True Detective Season 1 as a kind of symbol of Carcosa, as a symbol of this... I don't know, cultish underworld that is the sort of skeletal structure of, mm. of the True Detective seasons, for the most part, to varying degrees over the course of the three seasons before Issa Lopez uh, told her story. Um, and so, I wanna, we're
1: going to circle back to that. I, I want to ask you some questions about that.
0: So Navarro starts reinvestigating the Annie case, uh, asking Annie's brother and a minor if they had ever seen her with one of the scientists, and meanwhile, Peter, the young sort of cop and, and Danvers, played by Jodie Foster, start asking questions. And this is where the detecting comes in. And I thought this was my favorite scene of the episode is them hanging out at this ice rink where they have moved the mass of bodies because it has to thaw at a very specific temperature and at a, over a
1: course of... You don't have to tell me. This is me every day at five when I get the girls home and they're like, what are we having for dinner? And I'm like, Shit. <laughs> And I try to change the properties of heat, yeah, and the application of it. And I try to make it work.
0: We get like a little salmon in a pot of water or whatever, like to just.
1: Well, salmon defrost pretty quickly. Yeah. it's like when you're like, oh, these bone in chicken thighs—they'll just be real <laughs> crystally on the inside when you bite down.
0: Um, there's this cool sort of rhetorical device that starts coming up, uh-huh. and it's basically about like asking the right questions. I love this. Love this scene. They are going through all the pictures. It's a great piece of exposition because they're essentially like talking through all the different permutations of what could have happened to these scientists.
1: And I I also just want to jump in. We'll we'll say more about this, but like for an episode that indicated Issa's desire to explore the supernatural aspect of both this story and maybe the franchise as a whole, I love the bedrock recitation of the detecting. And when you're doing a detective story, explain the art of each detective because they are all different and you and I are endlessly interested in the ways that detecting gets accomplished. Yeah. This thing of like you're asking the wrong, the way to find the answers is to learn to ask the question. Great conceit. And when Peter
0: hits upon the killer, the Mm. idea that these guys were not Mm. experiencing collective psychosis. Yes. When he hits upon the idea of the killer, Jody Foster's line read of "Ah, uh, the killer is so good.
1: It's great. Great line read.
0: It's just a Roman candle moment right there. It's awesome. Um, the questions that they're asking, why did these guys run outside and remove their clothes? Why did they self mutilate? What scared them? Great moment when he's just like, how scared do you have to be to run outside with no clothes on? You know, like that's or no shoes on or whatever. Do, do, like, you,
1: do you have an answer for that?
0: I don't really. I mean, we, we live in such a mild climate. I never have to contemplate that.
1: But you do spend most of your time nude. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like it's, a, it's it's an ever-present.
0: Last night, I was going to go to Air One. Uh, <laughs>
1: okay, must be, must be nice, Monopoly man. But go on.
0: Um, I was like, let me get my parka on. Because I was like, the sun oh. had gone down as I was walking. And I was going to walk. I was going to get my Much like in
1: Ennis, the sun and, had gone it, down. It was
0: my own private Ennis. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, it's still 61 degrees. I don't need this parka.
1: So you just did the north face instead? What'd you do? The 61? <laughs> Come on.
0: I just wore a jean jacket.
1: Well, you were walking, right? Yeah. So you got your, you got the blood up a little the,
0: bit. The, the heart rate went up, yeah. I was, I was in the zone. I was in zone two. It's chilly out here right cows. now. Love that scene. Danvers and prior look into the last couple of days, the scientists, they do this by talking to sort of the support staff that was working around the station, cleaning ladies, yes. delivery men, et cetera. And
1: we find also, out classic law and order stuff here. like, for as much as we're going to talk about, like Isa Lopez likes David Lynch. I think she yep. also likes law and order because those scenes where people would love to talk to you officer, but I got to restock the vending machine. Yes, there was a lot of like I'm not going to stop
0: vacuuming, but I will give you crucial information. Love we that. learned that one of the scientists, Clark. Sounded uh, particularly distraught in the final days. It's hard to imagine living with a bunch of dudes in a research station for years on end through endless night.
1: Trying to solve death.
0: And watching Ferris Bueller over and over again might drive you a little batty. Great movie. But Pryor finds out that Clark also had this spiral tattooed on his chest.
1: And had a relationship with Annie. And when he went to get the tattoo, said, give me this and showed a picture of Annie's back. Not just Annie. She's she's doing the Janet Jackson Rolling Stone cover, basically yeah. with with Annie.
0: Yes. So Danvers and Pryor, they they do that, and then digging deeper into Solal. This is really important. They're walking down the street, and Pryor turns to Danvers and is like, "I've gone into the kind of funding for this station, mm-hmm. and as an NGO, and there's a shell corporation, but basically, when you, I mean, this this kid with one computer in Ennis, Alaska, yeah. gets to the bottom of it." It is funded by um, a company called Tuttle United. Okay. Uh, I don't know if that rang any bells for you.
1: No bells. Silence in the old brain pan.
0: Tuttle was the name of preacher Billy Tuttle, one of the villains of the first season of True Detective. And Edwin Tuttle is the governor, senator, politician of that first season who's sort of like looming over like why Rust can't get everything he needs for the case. And there's like this political resistance for him it's a thing then they are essentially like there is a operating theory that the Tuttles were the
1: oh i remember that now. there was
0: a cult that basically worshiped the yellow king and believed in child sacrifice
1: okay okay so it's more than okay
0: it, it it's a pretty big deal for as big of a deal as the spiral is yeah. connecting these two seasons with the tuddles is pretty huge for your boy, okay. We're, um, we're going to get into this. And in some non-murder developments, uh, just worth mentioning: Liz is hooking up with Christopher Eccleston, who is like her boss, basically. Yeah. And Frank Hank is mad at Peter for stealing files, and he's still obviously getting catfished by an Eastern European.
1: Man well, well, brother. well. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna push back on some okay. of this. Getting mad at punching his son in the face, slap. He slapped him. Listen, okay. I'm me, not. First of all, your ward is being taken back by the state. <laughs> You've just disqualified yourself from future adoption. Second, Danvers' daughter is like your father is an animal, uh-huh. which suggests that this isn't the first. What did you say? Tapped him on the face. He slaps him. Uh huh. Slaps him. Okay. Yes. Uh, suggests that this happened before. Yeah. Two, I I call me a sap. I believe in the possibility of internet love with unfaced people from Vladivostok. Right.
0: Who are like, but my mom needs an operation. <laughs>
1: i love this subplot maybe more than most things in the show i feel like john Hawks' character
0: seems pretty fucking evil so i'm a little bit nervous about like what happens next with this you don't think we
1: can just joke around about
0: (laughs) no i mean i'm just saying like he seemed to have that Annie file dug away and was pretty mad that it got taken
1: that's true he had it with his personal his personal effects his personal belongings
0: um so those are some non-murder developments great to see christopher eccleston in the mix yeah. Uh, uh, playing this sort of state police or, or police lieutenant, and then we kind of wrap up the episode with Navarro finding out by interrogating a minor, uh, that she thought this minor like seemed to recognize the picture of Clark. She <sighs> goes back to this guy's house, he's like,
1: I don't like you. It's also not a house, it's like his dorm, his dorm, kind yeah. Of?
0: And uh, he tells her about his brother sold this guy a trailer a while ago, yeah, and um. One thing leads to another. Navarro finds the trailer with Danvers. They go in, and it is fucking the Carcosa gift shop up in there with all the statuettes and stick figures and drawings and pictograms and spirals, and it is just like, we're back in it, man.
1: Did you think it was too on the nose that when Navarro finds the trailer and wipes the snow off the front of it, the brand of the trailer is crime scene? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Did you feel like that was maybe pushing it,
0: so we get that's it. That's where we were arrive. We find out mm-hmm. that pretty definitively the Annie murder and the Solal scene is connected. Mm-hmm. We've already had the tongue we've already uh, I believe it's been established that that's Annie's tongue right
1: It's been established that the, the the tongue has been settled
0: so there's a tongue in mm-hmm. Solal station that belongs to Annie these Clark and Annie both had the same spiral tattoos. Mm-hmm they seem to be in a relationship living out of this trailer or at least meeting in this trailer mm-hmm. where they were conjuring some serious psycho spiritual shit on the walls and in their their arts and crafts
1: which is rare because it's established that these salal guys don't really hang with the townies no uh
0: and then yeah and, i mean like and
1: then the assumption at the end of episode is that clark's not in the ice
0: and that clark is not in the ice that they've only
1: got five the they, it clark? is
0: melted enough now mm-hmm that they can tell that they only have five
1: bodies, right? Now, you did skip the part at the beginning where one of the bodies is like, ah! I'm, I'm cold! <laughs> uh, was that you when you went outside without your parka last night?
0: Uh, that's me when in I LA? do my, my cold plunge challenges <laughs> on Instagram every morning. As
1: I said to you in a text this week, I don't need to do a cold plunge. I just listened to Ben and Sheil on the <laughs> Philly special after the debacle on Monday, and that had the same effect on my body and heart. Um, So that's True Detective episode two.
0: I very much enjoyed it. But I am the target audience.
1: Well, let's start here. Because I do want to... I I really enjoyed this episode and I am not the target audience. So we're in a safe space Okay, good. I did not pick up on any of the connections other than the kind of vague, uh, otherworldly, supernatural-y stuff. I should also
0: say, I I was meant to say this at the beginning, Rob and Joe are also recapping True Detective and diving very deep on it. Mm. I think that goes up on Tuesdays on Prestige TV. So... At some point, I feel like we need to have a union of of, of Tuttle united here uh, to talk about all the theories. But uh, we'll, I want to let it play out a little bit.
1: We'll more. do that when the Stadies from Anchorage show up and it's Jay Velcoro <laughs> just here to investigate because that's, that's my true yeah, detective.
0: I know it is. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages,
1: Okay, I want to talk about the specifics of the show as the show, but I think because of the the prologue, we got to go here first. So here, let me let me let okay. me ask you something.
0: It's so My, you're like, do you want to talk about Night Country or do you want to talk about True Detective?
1: Exactly. And I have not, this will become as a shock to no one, I have not revisited the larger True Detective project ever. Okay. Any of the episodes since since their respective seasons aired, although I did despite some believe to the contrary, watch every episode of True Detective that ever aired. Did
0: you watch the second season?
1: Did I watch it? Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. You, you, and you watched all the third seasons? Yes. Okay, cool. We did podcasts about him. Did we? I did one with Clive Owen. Okay. <laughs> but you were away that week. Um, so my memory, particularly of the first season, and I do think that some of my hostility towards that season stemmed from this, fairly or unfairly, n- knowing my emotional reaction to things like the Barbie trailer, perhaps unfairly, was that... When the show was airing and it was a big sensation and people were excited about it, a lot of the excitement and a lot of the chatter was about what we're kind of starting to get into here, which was kind of like peak Redditor, what does this mean? Is this actually about Cthulhu and Lovecraftian horror? And what are the connections that go deeper than just cops investigating a murder thing? Mm -hmm. And then my memory of the show was that ultimately it seemed that Nick Pizzolatto, the creator and writer of True Detective, was not really that interested in those things. That those things were, um, let, me, uh, let me phrase this more delicately. Not more interested, but that is not where his, that was not the engine of what was driving his show. Those were, it's not fair to say window dressing, but those were just like extra texture to what was at its heart a crime story oh. and about detectives told in different time periods. And I felt that like it was a little bit of writing a check that the show didn't cash of being like, oh, we're also doing Twin Peaks stuff about weirdos making flowers, but really it's this. Right. And it was a little bit, again, this is my, I was critical, It felt a little bit bait and switchy. And that as the show progressed from season two to season three, this is what happens with long form storytelling or TV storytelling by one creator. The creator reveals him or herself and what interests them. And ultimately it was more about like, men being bummed out about shit over periods of time. Okay. I'm, be- I'm being glib. Yeah. But but the supernatural stuff fell away. Is that a fair reading of particularly the first season in your mind?
0: I just think it didn't fall away. It was just not definitively answered. Okay. So there, I think the show became more about whether or not Rust could be saved despite being somebody who looked at the world in a, in a particular way that would make living hard, you know, mm-hmm. and that he is able to sort of be a special kind of investigator because of his intuition and because of his perception of human behavior and because of his kind of ability to map like crime writ large mm-hmm. and his willingness to go to the depths of human experience to get justice or the yeah. answers or whatever
1: you want to say and, truth and that's a through line of the show even reflected in the title and that's even what we're seeing with danvers that there are people who are so gifted at this but at what cost right, right. but this is
0: a guy in the first season who goes undercover as a meth addict biker gang guy to get like one piece of a clue of yeah, at a certain what, point you kind of
1: want to be a meth addict biker well guy. yeah
0: but i i think that the idea that like all the sort of Subtextual or alluded to elements of like Carcosa and mm-hmm. the Yellow King and the connections to Lovecraft and all this stuff that was in it. I think that that wasn't necessarily Pizzolatto's fault. I think that that became
1: got bigger than crack
0: that. for the audience because it was something for us to do in the six days between totally. True Detective airing. So mm-hmm. he very wisely put it in there, just the same way Lindelof put stuff in Lost that didn't necessarily match the biblical illusions that were maybe made by character I, names or something like that and i fucking love lost i'm not saying that is no a- no
1: i think this is also a really good and important point to make because tv has changed so profoundly in the last 10 years that that what you're describing was that incredible time-specific alchemy of what prestige tv was which was and the way we used to talk about it the way we used to cover it which was the creators put something into the world on sunday like like like, my OG creator. Yeah. <laughs> the big man upstairs. Casey Bloys. And uh, then we, the audience, carried it aloft during the week until the next airing. Uh-huh. And that that was a kind of a symbiotic relationship yes. where our engagement and our theorizing were almost on an equal footing with the creator. And we
0: have seen that continue on even with shows that you're like, you don't really have to do that with this, like Succession or White Lotus. Also,
1: but we're not all, maybe those shows are the lone ex- Exceptions we're not always all watching the same thing anymore. It doesn't feel as charged or as even as celebratory. So I think that's a fair point. I think it's interesting. And I'm curious your thoughts on it now through two episodes that what Issa Lopez is interested in, in the original text is so much of this, you know, because this is, I don't even mean to say this like concern trolling. I'm just genuinely interested. Is this, fully fleshing out something that was only hinted at or that she's more interested in in, than even the the creator of these tropes and images was? Or is this going to end up, this is the concern trolling part, of like a misread of what the text is, like giving the people what they want to a degree that isn't going to support the franchise? Like, is it...
0: Look, I think that there's a way in which this story, this series... Not this season, but the series of True Detective, and we can at some point get into the like, it is—is is it Nick Pizzolatto's story to tell or not, mm-hmm. and and sure. like the kind of eth- ethical questions around that. I don't really. I mean, all we do is talk about stuff that is a revision or mm-hmm. a reimagining of somebody else's work. It's just rare that it happens when the person who authored the original story is like right there, being like, "I would, I would make a fourth season," and they don't. You know, yes. the point I'm trying to make though is. You could do this show like X-Files. Like, you could just basically, like, push it for a decade and not get to the sort of, like, what is Carcosa? Is there actually a decade-spanning cabal of evil men who perpetrate violence, sexual and otherwise, Mm -hmm. usually on women and children, and believe in essentially a devil figure that gives them power? This sounds like QAnon, but go on. But that is the same— I mean, in a lot of ways, it was a precursor to that. And the idea that you could solve the world's evil by coming up with a theory that united all evil acts in that way was sort of what I think the Russ character, especially in True Detective, is trying to do.
1: Here's what I love about a show that I have. I, I mean this sincerely and unambiguously. I love this as a project. I love the idea, especially if this is what the show is becoming, if there will be more seasons maybe helmed by different creators, that, that there is a baseline understanding of what a true detective is, series is. And underneath a gnarly or extreme or whatever crime that happens often multiple, you know, across timelines, there is this foreboding darkness at the edge of town. Yes. That is not always literal and is not to be solved, but is to be respected or feared or engaged with. But, you know, and and ultimately, I I should say that, like, I didn't want the ending of True Detective season one to be like, aha, um, Beelzebub or Mephisto is there. (laughs) And that's what was there the whole time. Like, the idea of men being more evil is always more interesting, but, like, these other things being part of it, too. I'm genuinely compelled by what Issa Lopez is doing here because she is making that subtext more textual. Then I. Well, so to answer your question, I I think that there's two layers to
0: it. I have not watched ahead. I don't know whether or not, like, are they going to start to investigate the Tuttle company and Mm -hmm. get to the bottom of what's going on there? Or was that a bone to throw to true sickos? We're like, oh, like, will Salal's funders really Mm -hmm. come into this? I don't know. What I do think is that. She obviously, in my conversation with her, was very interested in articulating an evil and a feeling that is hard to articulate. Mm -hmm. And the spiral is that. Mm -hmm. The spiral is people in strange places like Louisiana, like Alaska, like Arkansas in the third season. People, not strange places, but just like places that may seem a little bit lost to time. Like moved, that time has moved past it or that they are outside of like, the, the everyday workings of a lot of places where it's dark for 30 days or you might see birds traveling in, in weird patterns in the sky or there's a strange brothel like way out in the bayou that like mm-hmm. looks like it's been, it's a dollhouse or something like that. Like all these things that you just like, they're very true detective. I think that there's a symbology that she is going to more deeply investigate. I don't know if, Travis Cole is literally Russ Cole's father, or if the Tuttle cor- Corporation is going to be or interrogated. That,
1: or if that matters. And frankly, I want to put down my marker here. It doesn't matter to me. Right. I like the suggestion. I, like that, I do like that she is aware of, potentially as a fan of the series, who is now steering the series, that she is aware of the power of symbols and names and suggestions, and that that's something that we respond to in stories. And if there's never any other reference to Travis's lineage or background or family or potential offspring. That's great. Uh-huh. That's great with me. I, I was just really struck in this episode. And I. Sh- it's weird for me to say this after everything that happened in the first episode, including with the menacing animals and the suicidal reindeer and everything. But the, just the real foregrounding of like, and this was, I'm going to reference something that was in the first episode, but like dead Travis, you know, gesticulating like killer Bob from Twin Peaks, like that's that's canonical, yeah. right? Like, we saw that happen on our screen. We didn't just hear, uh, what's her name? Um,
0: Rose did not tell that as a story. That was something that
1: we, the audience, the, were the ex- experienced. Exactly, exactly. But I also think that she's doing but something... But it's like the
0: delivery man says, you see people,
1: you know? Right, and so, like, all the, like, the kind of... I, I, I'm i just, I'm just responding to it. Like, I'm responding to this, like, the 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 dial keeps getting pushed up. It's not just that Rose has seen this it's that then the delivery guy is just like, well, you know, we're, you know, we're here on the borderline of like night and day and living in the dead. And well, she, Rose says that. And then he's like, I've we all see ghosts, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, OK. That's that's what the show is in a way that is not what I expected. But I don't mind it. And I also am for someone who generally is allergic to uh, theorizing. Mm-hmm. I just want to see what she's going to take what's being given to me. I'm intrigued by the fundamental conceit of the show as it's emerging that these scientists are trying to solve death. Yeah. And that Clark maybe was trying to solve the death of a woman that he loved and maybe she came awake or something. It definitely pushes my perception of what the show could be into a different place because coming off of the first three seasons, I was preparing for to have a show that was sprinkled lightly with some supernatural bullion, but was fundamentally going to be there was going to be a concrete, tangible answer. Yes, and there may very well
0: be, if I had to guess, this will be a series, a season, told in three acts with the first two episodes obviously setting everything up, but we'll never Mm -hmm. feel as free and suspended in air to make a hundred different guesses. Mm -hmm. And then things will start to narrow. There will be twists. And then it will probably be something relatively conventional. I'm just guessing, but... The thing that I kept going back to in this episode, because over the course of the first two, I feel like they've... Issa's been, like, very clear about her interests in this is the environmental piece, mm-hmm. to to quote Bill Simmons. Um, you've got this mine that Kate, is... Can we do
1: body language doctor next? Because I've got some <laughs> thoughts.
0: The mine that is in town is clearly, like, the economic engine of the town, but right. also the environmental death of the town. Yep. There's been allusions to drinking water problems of... Mm-hmm. People getting sick. The miner whose brother died was bone cancer. He's like this fucking town. Like there's this illusion that there's like somehow this town is poisoning people. Mm-hmm. Then you've got the Salal station that is essentially, like you said, punching a fucking hole in the earth and hoping for the best. And, you
1: know, and not engaging with the local community in any way other than come clean our floors and deliver us Funyuns.
0: Yes. To say nothing of the fact that the wildlife around town seemed to be reacting strangely between the mass suicide of those caribou and the polar bear. And, you know, like we, we are just in a very strange place. And, you know, it doesn't take too much of a jump in logic to con- consider that this show is also about environmental collapse, you know, and that that might actually be the supernatural element that you're talking about. Because, like, what if we fucking, what if we kill the Earth? Like, I'm sure very strange things could happen, you know?
1: I think, including me liking True (laughs) Detectives, Um, A couple marginal things I'd like to talk about. One of the MVP, I, I should have the person's name in front of me, and I will for our next podcast, but the production design on this show is Elite. Rose's house is so cool. Um, Rose's house, the burger place. Yeah. These dorm rooms of the working men, like the way that they're lit, the way they're decorated, the way the cans are stacked.
0: I do just want to say, you you mentioned SV, you know, Law & Order earlier. Law & Order routinely, whenever there is a teenage culprit, Mm -hmm. they go into the kid's house and it's just like, he's got like a Primus and a helmet poster.
1: It's his music band. It's just like... Mm -hmm.
0: I think that bad guys listen to other things besides metal, and they don't all have metal posters on their wall.
1: So you walk into a kid's house, and it's just like, (laughs) it's like Bell and Sebastian. (laughs) It's just like, this is suspicious.
0: I'm just saying, like, that when when she walks into the miner's dorm room, and it's just like, monsters of metal. This guy is trouble. He also has tortilla chips, so, you know, takes all kinds.
1: Well, so speaking of tortilla chips, when there's the scene of Navarro and her sister shopping in the market. Did you have flashbacks to when we used to go to Fire Island? And we're just like, I would like to buy this can of Pinto beans. And they're like, certainly, sir, $30. That's
0: what happened to me at Erewhon.
1: Well, the, right. So Erewhon is just like I was like,
0: did you guys move a fucking decimal point? <laughs> what are you talking
1: about? There is no supply just no supply chain issues with Erewhon. That is by design. But when you go to a place like an island or I guess the end of fucking Alaska, yeah. those Oreos are gonna they're gonna creep up on you. Like I, I really think that it's intentional too that like There've been a number of shots of people's homes where cabinets have been opened and we've seen the depths of their like chili collection. Yeah. I'm like I, th- there's thought behind this. I really like that. Do you
0: think that my new thing should be making live videos outside of Erawan, begging Joe Biden to do something about the prices of their combo platters? <laughs>
1: it's yes. I think that would go over very well. I think you would find a robust following. Yeah. I think that maybe if you did that, I think The Hollywood Reporter would cover you the way they covered Cheryl Hines. (laughs) (laughs) Being like, she's a great actress. Her husband has some really interesting ideas. Yeah. That's you. That's your demographic. Doesn't get flu shots. No. (laughs) So let's see. That's, that's, hold on. Now tell me more. That's interesting. Uh, Did you relate to, speaking of things that you related to, clearly there's more than I realized. During the Law & Order (laughs) montage of investigating when they're talking to the woman who's the cleaner, and in the middle of the conversation, she opens the window to like subarctic Kansas City Chiefs playoff game weather, just to like just to just to burn one. Yeah, there's two experiences. Did you relate to that
0: i I liked very much smoking
1: in the cold because it was it like warm you from the inside. Yeah, with fire? but smoking
0: in like deep, dark, fucked up, hot ass New York summers used to just be like, ah, maybe I should imagine a better
1: life for myself. Did you, Reader? He did not.
0: It took him a couple of years to get there.
1: But but like, would you? Especially when there was the smoking ban, like, then you really had to, like, make a choice. Like, I could stay here, warm, enjoying my drink with my friends, or I have to go outside into uh, Hoth. Yes. And there you would go <laughs> into Hoth. So I think that that solves that. Yes. I like some of the, I mean, I, I continue to think that Jodie Foster is uniquely qualified to play this part. She's awesome. I like the way, and this is also a callback to previous two detectives, that she's, prickly in unique ways in different directions in Mm -hmm. one way to her daughter daughter, in a different way to peter who and he is clearly you know he's he's a true believer he's following her yes um i like that um
0: navarro was using the same rhetorical investigative technique
1: like she taught her well
0: and has mentioned that she was i think she was peter before peter and that like you know obviously there's a i would suggest borderline sexual tension between Navarro and Danvers, or something interesting. Well, they she definitely seems to know where Navarro keeps all her stuff. Like when she comes over she to goes the right house, into her house, she's like, "Did you move where you put canned food?" So they have some kind of intimacy.
1: I think they were thinking about how I would be reviewing the cabinets of the show, and they're like, "Let's show more." Um, Kavik, Kavik, yep, Kavik is the guy, The that, can- pancake guy. Well, this is what I want to talk about. So I, I a lot of people showing up in each other's houses, and I feel like they're really on top of each other in this in this town. Um, he owns the burger place, which again, I feel like seems like a, actually a pretty chill place to hang out other than the fights. Yeah.
0: It's really funny though, when they're like in there and it looks like everybody's like getting after it and they're yeah. like, would you like some lunch? Cause it's fucking dark.
1: That is a trip. Yeah. When they come out of the coffee shop. Yeah. Uh, with their like Americanos in the morning. <laughs> um, so well actually maybe you're making the best point then because I am still not caught up with the time like that it's always night, even though it's right there in the title. Uh-huh. Navarro and Kavik, he makes her, I guess he lives above the restaurant, so he makes her pancakes. Yeah. I was going to ask you where you stood on night pancakes because then, because he just douses them in syrup and I'm like, I think it's like 11 o'clock. I have to
0: tell you that if I found myself in this situation where it was a month of night or however long it is, Mm -hmm. all bets are off.
1: Oh, just how you were going to live your life?
0: I think that I would start being like, I'm going to try and get like five to seven hours of sleep a day or whatever. But when that happens, is up to me. I, Phoebe would love that. And if it's Budweiser and pancakes <laughs> at 4.30 p.m., quote unquote, so be it.
1: What's your job in this scenario? Like, Bill's like, quick, we got to do an emergency pod and you're uh, just full of this quick. Uh,
0: I, dr- I drive the Zamboni Miller. at the <laughs> ice rink. <laughs> you have a couple of days off then. Yeah. <laughs> By but the, that's going to be quite a cleanup when that shit melts. <laughs> we didn't talk
1: about that. That the manager of the ice rink um, is the owner. The owner manager. Yeah, she doesn't like Danvers. No, because Danvers look. Danvers likes to. Danvers spreads it around. Yes, and I guess slept with her husband. But they, but they both love this town. Well, so don't, please don't,
0: don't knock her promiscuity. I mean, I think no. she's just expressing herself. I, I she res- loves the Vikings. I she loves fantasy it. football. She needs to find happiness where she banging can. And merry guys. Like it's
1: if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. That's right. I just mean I thought when a show is just like consistently like this town is hell, we are digging into the core of the earth and poisoning people with darkness from within. And also we all see ghosts who want us to join them on the other side. And then the one woman is like the civic booster from Eagleton on Parks and Rec. and she's like, You fucked my husband. I have a thriving ice but hockey I love business, this town. Yeah. but I love this town so much. Please melt your corpses on center ice. I know. Did you? Did you think? I don't know. if, I've, This is another Parks and Rec reference, but I don't know if you. Okay,
0: look, look how stimulated you are by this television. It's show. fun talking
1: about TV shows. Um, we should do a podcast. Yeah. Um, the episode, maybe one of the all-time funniest Parks and Recs, when they Leslie does her campaign kickoff, but they forget that the ice rink they didn't like defrost the ice rink, yeah. and they don't have enough. Uh, uh, carpet to get there yeah. and the music's like get on your feet and then it just like keeps playing they keep slipping did you call back to that scene when I didn't there's the <laughs> the Bosch canvas I okay. didn't did you ask Issa Lopez if the actors who played the crew in this station
0: also did that I think that that seems uh, that seems like it's very John Carpenter the thing but that, like was that, 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 that their
1: of... day rate to be like I'm naked and in pain for like, like okay hold the work and action. You don't think that was really them?
0: I don't think it was really them. I think um I think that was uh AI. Uh so do you have give me one thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that you're like I got my eye on you for next week. Cuz I'm thinking Hank. I I I think Hank's got a mean streak. Seems like he's got senioritis. He's waiting for this lady to show up. Yeah. I have some bad news for him. I don't think that's going to happen.
1: Well, I think there's two But part of the pleasure of this is that there's a certain way that.
0: Also, imagine for her if she is a real woman and Mm -hmm. and she shows up, and this is what's happening. Like, there's a giant structure of dead bodies melting. This happens on the reg where she's coming
1: from. (laughs) That's true. This is Tuesday. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Like part of the pleasure of this is watching stories unfold in ways unexpected and expected, and it's the guardrail of going down into the depths is that some things are going to go as you think they are, one of them is in a story like this. Yeah, someone who you've already met is going to have another card to yeah. turn, being told that he's this guy who seems quite affable in the premiere is one to strike his son. You and I differ strike about Strike his the, son and,
0: and slow roll police investigations. Seems like he's, he's like I'm interested. On the Annie
1: one. Yeah. On, right. And yeah. that he's, he's an animal. But even with
0: the, the Salal guys, he seems to be kind of got his thumb up his ass. I
1: think he's just waiting for his lady. Okay. All right. Well, you know, you're over there just eating pancakes. Maybe he just wants love to get through it. I, I'm interested in. It's been. It was explored a little bit with some flashbacks and some great de aging stuff.
0: What's going on with Jodie Foster's backstory, right?
1: Yeah, because the David relationship with her daughter, who I can't tell if that's my my assumption from the first episode was that this was her husband's daughter. Yes, from the daughter said something to her along those lines, like you don't have to be my mom anymore. Well, or she also right? seems
0: to have uh, hostility towards her daughter adopting her, her her indigenous, like, cultural rights. You know, there's a, the, the a lot of tattoo of the, stuff going on in this episode. The tattoos that, I believe her name's Leah. Is that the? Leah's the daughter. Leah's the daughter. And then also, obviously, with Annie and with Clark, so.
1: You and I have different opinions. We fall on different sides of the tattoo divide. Because you know? of Jewish cemeteries? Yeah. Pa- well, Jewish, partially. rights, like, Jewish burial like, but, yeah. but more that you have them.
0: Is that why you don't have a tattoo, though?
1: No. Okay. I just, I'm very indecisive. There's not a single thing that I could think that I would want forever on my body other than the logline of Madam Web, which I think is something that, you know, still has a lot to teach us.
0: (laughs) That's a deep cut for people if they didn't listen. People listen
1: to, Kaya told me, by the way, the other day, that people listen to the whole podcast all the way through every episode. (laughs) Looking back, you were not on that text. Sometimes she just keeps... She, she 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 plays a different role in both of our lives. She's very supportive of you, of of me. Yeah, you know, and I think maybe she plays bad cop with you a little more. I'm you, sure. Yeah, Kai and I
0: have a very hostile relationship. Because you need
1: you need that. Uh, um, no, anything else you want to hit on uh, this? Um, my one criticism. Sure. There's a lot of needle drops. There's a lot of music.
0: You know what? I hear you, and mm-hmm. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. It's a contemporary television problem. It's it, not a true detective.
1: This is a great point. It is only a true detective, and it's not problem. that much
0: better in the films, in movies.
1: That's very honest. true. Um, that was my continuing. I'm still incredulous about the music in air. Like, but it's nonstop. It's wall to wall. You're right. It is a contemporary problem. Maybe I'm noticing it particularly because HBO just, just. I I don't know if Zaslav was aware of the show, but like, flashes cash all the time. Mm. And like, they, you know, they're playing Twist and Shout a lot. Yes. That's not a John and Paul original. No, but it's the like Matthew
0: Broderick version.
1: Their version. Which, is, I'm going to go on a limb. I don't think Matthew Broderick sang that. <laughs> no, I, know, I, know. I don't think that was him. But like, they're spending a lot. And so the songs are really, really noticeable. I want You know what I want to hear more of? The sound of night country. <sighs> yeah. We should, people like being a, like,
0: should we do like an ASMR segment? Yeah,
1: it's people being like,
0: it's really What, what does night country sound like?
1: <laughs> and they're just sloshing maple syrup on everything hey guys yeah hey
0: that's just snow and there there are six bodies in the snow that's tough actually only five do you guys like reindeer yeah don't follow them i have some cool tattoo ideas
1: oh yeah we were produced by
0: kaya McMullen
1: today are we done <laughs> are we going out like this yeah why not <laughs> <laughs> Just Just imagining walking into a tattoo shop in LA with a picture of us wearing t-shirts from like 2003 where I'm like, give me the one on his arm, (laughs) but over my heart.
0: Um, Thanks to Kai for producing us. Thanks to uh, HBO for making True Detective Night Country, something for us to chat about on Sundays. We'll be back on Thursday where we're going to be discussing the finales for Fargo and The Curse, as well as a sort of broader conversation about the state of TV, as is our want. It is our want. We do that. Uh, Talk to you guys soon. Happy Sunday break let